Hello everyone, it's the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Omar Oaks, Editor-in-Chief of the Media Leader, and we are in a very cold room to wrap up the future of TV advertising global, our event this week in London, in King's Place, in the basement of the Guardian's offices in King's Cross. Uh, joining me, we've got our regular crew, Ella Sagar, reporter at the Media Leader, and Jack Benjamin, also reporter at the Media Leader. And we've all been um, covering the future of television this week. Two days of interesting conference chats and a look ahead to what's going on in this ever-evolving space of TV. Um, But I don't know what you guys thought. We're going to get into it now. Um, We're going to talk about all the people that were speaking. ITV CEO Carolyn McCall I spoke to. Peter Field giving a fantastic presentation about why marketing in TV is so damn effective, as he put it. Um, Netflix was there. Disney was there. Comcast was there. Sky was there. Sky is Comcast. Um, They were all there. Um, We'll get into that. But I don't know what you guys thought. I thought if there was a main takeaway from everything that we heard over the two days, it seems like for all the positive talk, as you'd expect at a conference like this, about why TV should be optimistic about its future, there was quite a lot of anxiety. Um, Ella, what, what did you pick up? Would you Would you agree with that? I think definitely a lot of the presentations that I saw was all about proving TV's effectiveness and proving its worth on the plan, its place on the plan and the challenge of of digital and and big tech and kind of trying to make sure that they can compete in future as things become more digital. So there was a whole it wasn't quite existential. We haven't quite reached that point, but it was like where's our place? Now we're not really the the big as dominant as big tech has and digital's become. Yeah, that definitely came through. Um, so on the Wednesday, I interviewed Carolyn McCall, and it was quite good because the topic of the the talk was ITVX, the streaming service, one year on, and it was actually a sequel to the interview we did at Future of Media last year, which was you know just about, ITVX was just about to launch then. So it was good to compare and contrast. And what has changed since then, for me anyway, I remember you know I'm covering. TV and media for many years now, and I would always speak to the commercial people at an organization like ITV. Whereas nowadays, I don't just speak to the CEO or Kelly Williams, Simon Daglish, the chief salespeople. I'm speaking to head of audience insights. I'm speaking to the analysts. I'm speaking to addressable advertising people. Um, Really, really interesting just in terms of, to your point, Ella, TV is having to sell itself so much harder than it ever has. And as TV adapts in different ways of viewing television, there are all these different things that you're able to talk about with them now, which um, was fascinating. Jack, um, you, you heard me speak to Carolyn McCall. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, what did you think and what were your main takeaways from what you saw over the two days? Yeah, well, I thought uh, it was really interesting. I think one of the big takeaways from uh, your conversation with Carolyn specifically was that I think she pushed back on a lot of the you know prior conversation about the strength of the ad market, which was we had a few analysts come in and mm. talk. Um, Brian Weiser was one. He's got Madison and Wall now, but he used to be Group M's uh, global president of business intelligence. And then we also had Ian Whitaker, who's um, he might be the most exposed analyst in the UK. And and for good <laughs> oh, reason, I think, I think I, I forget, he, he's absolutely brilliant and fantastic. Um, Weiser specifically, right before Carolyn was on, said that the overall ad market is really strong right now. And we did some reporting, and we'll talk about the ad spent reports later that have come out over the past week. Um, but the TV market has been really tough, which McCall, in the UK, in yeah, the yeah. UK, yeah. And and McCall has said that, as have I think uh, other 
heads, I think Channel 4. Alex Mayon, yeah, yeah. on Channel 4. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, she said 14% down they think it's going to be this year, which is even lower than what was being predicted before. Mm-hmm. And but So Carolyn came out and basically just said, well, actually, it's, it's actually a really tough year. Um, and I, I think, you know, speaking more broadly about the conference, that probably is part of why we, we get the sense of anxiety from from the conference. I, I totally agree. That was kind of my big takeaway was big tech is coming. It's not been a good market for us anyway this year. We need to do better to compete. There's a lot of pressure on us. Um, Ian Whitaker explicitly compared TV to newspaper publishing and and said, look, you know, newspaper publishing basically got killed by big tech and you could be heading in that direction, but there's lots of ways you can avoid it as well. And, and, and you know, let's talk about that. And he sort of yeah, in. yeah. So I, 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 so I didn't see um, Ian Whitaker's talk, but um, I, I, I saw him afterwards, and he he told me what he said, and I, I didn't quite understand this argument. So, newspaper publishing, news brand publishing. Um, we got into it with Dominic Carter, the publisher of the Sun at Future Media. Actually, I asked him, you know, do do you, in hindsight, do you admit that newspaper publishers basically let their websites become trashy and just full of pop-ups and ads all over the place and made the user experience terrible? You you kind of just gave up before you even started, which it was kind of what it sounded like Ian Whisker was saying, and I agree with mm. that part. But when it comes to TV, like TV, you've already got all these established architectures for connected TV and how I don't understand how it could be the same as a publisher's news brand where they're just going to let all the inventory run riot. It just, it's yeah. just, video is too different, isn't it? I, I don't know if it's a one-to-one comparison exactly, but I think the broad comparison does make sense to me and I actually find it really compelling in the sense of the Amazons of the world <clears throat> and now Apple as well uh, with Apple TV plus these big tech companies that can pay a ton of money for sports rights, live event rights. Um, we're seeing a lot more of that now um and also people prefer streaming companies anyway and yeah there's been a lot of people that uh as they move to streaming they do consume some of the either ad supported or or premium uh streaming services from major broadcasters but a lot of them are big tech companies so amazon being one of them uh netflix obviously is very popular disney plus um you know that will harm the other broadcasters, especially in the UK, um, who don't have necessarily a global footprint that they can fall back on. And I think I know that you talked to Carolyn a bit yesterday about how ITV is looking a little bit more globally, um, certainly in the European market. I thought that was quite interesting that that's also part of the conversation now that they're looking beyond the UK because I think they probably need to in order to keep growing. Well, that's the thing, and uh, let, let's start, let's talk about the streamers. We love the streamers, Netflix, Disney Plus, etc. Um, because once you start thinking of TV as a global game, then it becomes all about scale, and ITV is obviously very mindful of that. So while it's always going to be a national champion, as Carolyn described it, a regional local broadcaster, if I can put it that way, it's it's. It has ambitions to, whether it's for addressable advertising, Planet V, to bring on international partners, which it started to do. Sky in the UK is actually on Planet V. Um, but also ITV Studios, which now makes up a greater share of revenue, mm-hmm. by the way, for ITV than its advertising business, which is interesting. I know it's been a tough year with the writer's strike, which, we, which we've talked about on this podcast. So there ain't a lot of business coming from America this year. But in the long run, you would expect a lot of demand globally for British content. ITV Studios will hopefully um, continue to do well. Um, so, yeah, global ambition is really interesting. 
Um, but it's still going to be very difficult when it comes to dealing with streaming platforms. So on the other side, streamers are finding it difficult to get into ads. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Disney. Let's talk about Netflix. Very different presentations, very different content. Um, where should we begin? Jack, you covered on the website, medialeader.co.uk, you covered Rita Farrow, the head of Disney Advertising, her talk at Future TV. Mm-hmm. What did she say? Well, she came out with a lot of confidence, actually, um, more so than you know, perhaps Netflix, and, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, she basically expressed that, look, Disney, first of all, the first year of Disney Plus went really well, in her, in her words, on the ad tier. Yeah. Yeah, oh, and yeah. Why did it go well? How, how are they measuring that? How are they justifying that? Well, they didn't actually bring a ton of stats to back that up. Oh. So well, some of it's rhetoric, but there are a thousand advertisers that they're working with globally. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, and they also mentioned that, or uh, Pharaoh specifically mentioned, there's uh, about fifty percent of all new Disney Plus subscribers are subscribing to the ad tier, not the premium tier without ads. In the which, U.S., in, yes, that's specific to the U.S. market. They don't have data for the other markets yet because the rollouts, you know, been slow mm. elsewhere outside the U.S. So those are encouraging numbers. I think that's how they would, that's how they phrased it. But her rhetoric and overall was was also very confident and positive because Disney has had a long history of having ads on their streaming platforms. They've owned Hulu. Hulu debuted in 2007 as, uh, I think it was basically a catch-up service, but it all had ads. Yep. And then they added in a premium tier afterward. Very different, obviously, from going to a premium tier to an ad tier, which is what Disney Plus is doing and on Netflix and and others. So basically, Pharaoh was like, we have confidence that we can execute because we have been executing and we know where to put ad breaks because one, we've, we've been doing it on Hulu, but also we've been selling Disney product, Disney content to broadcast uh, linear in the U S market and elsewhere. And we can tell where the best ad breaks are because some of that content has already had ads thrown against it. So um, they can solve a lot of the issues that I think people are concerned about when it comes to consumer experience and um, they may have uh, some strong relationships with advertisers already. And I think that came across. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into Netflix and compare and contrast what they said in just a second. But on Disney, um, she reiterated something that she, I think, revealed, could be wrong, but she definitely mentioned it at Future TV 2022 last year, where she talked about how they previously had eight different sales teams within Disney advertising. And remember that they're selling ESPN, they're selling on Disney Channel, um, other owned properties. Um, you talked about Roku, uh, Hulu, not Roku, <laughs> not Roku. Um, that, so they they're all basically selling as one Disney platform now. So to yeah. your point about experience about selling on different platforms and cross sells, they already have that. Whereas a Netflix doesn't. The interesting thing though was um, Justin Leban, who finally I had to he's, he always does a sterling job. But I thought Justin, despite his jet lag issues, <laughs> he, um, he he did a really good job interviewing, which I can relate to, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, he 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 pushed her on um, this issue you mentioned about inserting ads into content, which wasn't frankly made to have. Um, ads in it so we think of all the the marvel streaming things star wars streaming things that they've launched on disney plus in the last couple years justin explicitly asked her well are you gonna start now that you've got this ad tier and it's up and running are you gonna start commissioning shows like new marvel tv series with the intention of writing in ad breaks and she basically said no no we're just gonna focus on making good content Mm -hmm. and i 
I, as an advertiser, I'd be a bit concerned with that actually, because we'll, we'll, as I say, we'll get into Netflix and the issues that they're having with this, but TV for many decades has worked really well because you've had TV screenwriters who have been very mindful that there's going to be an ad break after 10 minutes, 12 minutes. So I've got to write a little mini cliffhanger if it's an hour long episode, mm-hmm. three little cliffhangers. And if you're just going to continue to go down this route of writing you know, a 40 minute episode without ads and then shoehorn ads in there, it's going to be a really bad UX, isn't it? Yeah, it really does d- depend on execution. Um, I-, I would be worried about it as a consumer, not just an advertiser yeah. as well, because it's not a fun ad experience. Um, one thing she did say, um, and I don't know to the extent that this is, you know, how, how it's how it's being worked out in the Disney offices, but that content people are having conversations with the ad team uh, in terms of, oh, this would be a good time to insert into our, our episode or our film um so content's being involved in those conversations we don't know the extent to which that's happening um, obviously that's better than them not having any involvement but you would think maybe you make it go the other way around as opposed to content telling ads team okay this would be a good time for an ad break you have an ad team being like okay we need to have an ad break after x amount of minutes right to make sure that that fits that uh, story structure um and actually uh, to your point uh, ha- putting in cliffhangers is is great and, and they can sometimes help a story structure to have you know actual act breaks based around when advertising may be placed in um something that i find really interesting about like binge watching shows is that they still have like cliffhangers at the end of episodes to try and get you to watch the next mm-hmm. episode but because you can just immediately watch the next episode it's not really a cliffhanger because mm-hmm. Mm. it'll get resolved in the next five minutes of your time. Then you can pause and turn off the episode and go back to whatever else you were doing. I'm not going to necessarily say that ads make for great content <laughs> because I don't fundamentally believe that. I actually think the the high quality premium content you've gotten on HBO was the first to really do this well with The Sopranos um, is, is far and away better. But if you're going to have ads in, you should be making it as good as possible. Yeah, that's my point. Either you do it or you don't. And this kind of half-assed thing that seems to be happening with streaming platforms, a mixture of SVOD and AVOD, um, I don't um, think it will work very well for the long term. And as I said, when Netflix first launched with ads, it's like, you know, they, they you know, Jeremy Gorman, um, who was the previous ads chief, when she came to Future of TV Advertising Global last year, she was talking about making Netflix like uh, the, the the Piccadilly Circus. No, it was the Times Square. We want it to be the, akin to the Times Square of TV advertising. The World Cup as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, her replacement, not her replacement, he's kind of, he's sort of the number two, isn't he, Ella? Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Naylor, who is, uh, what's his job title? V- VP. VP of, of advertising. advertising at yeah. Netflix. Yeah. So, so that was so, the second presentation of the day on day one. Yeah. So how, how are Netflix getting on with making Netflix with ads the, the Super Bowl, the, Super the daily Bowl, Super Bowl yes. of advertising? Well, I think it's been tougher than they thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, I think he described it as a journey. It's been a journey to this point, And maybe that's a sort of oblique reference to, you know, they've had some uh, kind of pushback on on the kind of inventory and they've had to renegotiate deals with Microsoft ads who were doing their sort of tech stack and things like that. They came with the presentation talking about, they had their, the classic sizzle of new shows that were coming out, like the crowns, new series, which is supposed to and, be awful, <laughs> which I, I couldn't possibly comment because I've never watched the crown. So Haven't you? no, no, it's uh, it's not really, I, I watched a few episodes and it was, it was good, but 
I'm uh, I'm a very different audience as an American. But uh, just to go back to Netflix, I think it was it was yeah the formats that they were talking about. They didn't kind of come with the new. Oh, this is a brand new thing. Um, it was things that had been mentioned before, like their top ten, where you can buy across the top ten lists mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. of series and films that change every day. The binge watching, where you're kind of rewarded with an ad free episode, and so then that kind of in my mind creates a bit of a question of like how annoying are the ads if you're rewarding people for watching episodes by giving them an ad-free episode yes yeah, so with this with the saying oh this episode is ad-free because of this advertiser and it's like a sort of sponsor ident sort of situation um i mean they're saying it reflects the consumer behavior of like how people watch netflix um but it was it was quite uh it was quite different positioning because they're very they're obviously very new to ads but they've been doing that they've kind of and Rita Ferris said something interesting in her presentation, which was like, oh, I wish that advertising was as easy as like just putting, pushing a button and it was just worked. It's not, it's really difficult. You need the technology, you need mm-hmm. the, the, the resources was the words that she used. So you need the people, you need all of that stuff. So, and it is obviously like a big joint effort. There's a lot of stuff that needs to go into that. Yeah. I think that that did come across, um, to be fair to Netflix, um, maybe Rita Ferro made the point more effectively is that it's actually quite difficult to for these these companies which have launched with S4 subscriber only ad free to then insert ads into content. It's not just the actual physical act that we've been talking about about shoehorning the ads and the breaks and all mm. the issues you might have with content, but actually building the ad stack, working with different partners, making sure it's consistent, and then actually the sales story. Um, telling that story to media agencies and advertisers about, you know, why, you know, the CPMs have been notoriously very high mm-hmm. for buying on Netflix. And it's like, well, if you've, if you've spent the last 10 years having a really kind of affluent, generally consumer base that's consuming your content ad-free for so long, and then suddenly you're saying, hey, students, people that don't want to pay £20 a month for full Netflix there's there's a cheaper option for you it's kind of like if you're an advertiser i'm just going to be reaching mm. a load of students and people that can't afford to pay for full netflix is that really attractive that that's quite a tough sell did anything did you learn anything that maybe we didn't know before about what netflix said the live experiences thing surprised me that they're moving more into that space so they just looked did their first live sport event which was kind of a mashup of uh drive to survive and the um Oh, the what's golf. the the golf show? Yeah, yeah. And so they want to be doing more of that. And they're going to be launching this thing called Netflix House, which is a sort of area when like a Netflix will have theaters, it will have like um Netflix sort of snacks. It's, it's like this whole sort of experiential thing. And so that that I think Naylor was saying that's the kind of thing where there would be absolutely no reason why advertisers couldn't get involved in that and be it'd be kind of more in person and 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 do and you could have companion podcasts to shows. They have a fan site called Netflix Tudum, like the Sonic branding. Tudum. Tudum. Uh, so those are they're kind of trying to diversify the out of just doing ads against the shows and seeing what other sort of spin-offs they could do as well. Oh, mm. They should let us in their office. <laughs> Where's their office? It's in Burner Street, near Wardour Street, somewhere like that. They should just let us in. We could have so much. Imagine like being like an in-house 
commercial team where you're kind of leveraging all this amazing content that mm. Netflix has and all these deals that they could do with advertisers and agencies. It's just, oh, okay. just, I, just I don't hear about any of this. Netflix, if you're listening to this, we want to hear about all these exciting plans you have to commercialize your content. Mm. Um, and it's not just TV anymore. It's also gaming. That they're getting into. Yeah, they didn't mention. We've, we've they, did, they didn't mention yeah. gaming. Yeah, where is the yeah. conversation about gaming? We've talked about this on previous episodes. Yeah. Listeners, um, I don't know when we did it, but just scroll through our feed. Like we've we've, we've had really good conversations about Netflix being in the gaming space and how it might succeed where Google failed with Stadia becoming, you know, Netflix becoming the Netflix for gaming. Ha ha ha. But no, <laughs> no, seriously, like um, really interesting things that we've seen on Netflix. We're leveraging um video content and turning it into interactive gaming on phones. Where was the chat about that yeah i mean it's a tv conference so i i, I would expect it to be a little bit limited but and i, and I don't know what the advertising opportunity is mm. and i don't know if netflix yeah. knows the advertising mm. opportunity. Yeah. although pharaoh mentioned gamification shopification that's true on disney so, yeah. so they'll, they'll be announcing some things at ces that she hinted at and that included yeah gamification shopification and more social uh, community aspects of while you're streaming i don't know what that's going to look like um yeah, you would think there would be an opportunity for Netflix to talk about it a little bit more. They didn't mention it at all, uh, the gaming aspect. Um, I, I think that's, I was a little surprised overall by uh, what Netflix had to say, just because when Jeremy Gorman came out last year, I felt like it was a really hard sell, which mm -hmm. made sense. People were really excited about Netflix mm -hmm. introducing ads. Mm -hmm. They were just introducing it. The past year hasn't been great for Netflix uh, in terms of the ads tier. I think that's been the the feedback that I've heard, at least from, from talking to people uh, around the industry. So I would have thought they would have come out with a hard punch mm. and a harder sell. And I don't think I really, mm. I really saw that, or, or certainly from talking to people at the conference, that that's not what they told me. Yeah. Well, that's why we do these conferences <laughs> because, you know, you, we, 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 it's, it's a sector we want to hear what you're selling and um, how well you're selling it. Um, right. Um, let's take a pause. Let's take a pause because I want to hear from you both. What was the best slash most interesting thing you heard at the conference or in and around the conference? Ella. Mm. This is a tough one. I do think uh, Kate Waters' presentation from ITV was particularly interesting uh, trying to argue for TV should be in the outcomes business rather than just in that kind of emotion, brand. What, did, um, what does the outcomes the business The outcomes mean? business. So business outcomes. Uh, there was a quote that she used, which I quite like. People don't, don't look for quarter inch drills. They want quarter inch holes. And so you've got to be thinking about that people buy a product to what's the result that they want from that. So that works on the consumer side, but also what are advertisers advertising for to reflect back on their business. And I think sometimes what what uh, was spoken about across the conference was that TV doesn't do, uh, doesn't sell itself in that way of like, oh, maybe you should advertise on TV because you should, but why and what does it do for my business? And it's not just like a long-term thing, but a short-term thing as well. Yeah, mm. it's, it's just this fascinating thing. It comes back to the, the, the point before about um, anxiety around TV and TV needed to sell itself harder than before. Um, it's, it's just this thing where into, you know, intuition for so many decades, we've known that TV, TV advertising is really effective if you want to advertise your business. But there's just never been that much work historically on why. I know that there's been lots of work on TV effectiveness mm. over the years in terms of creativity, but in terms of what you're saying, in terms of the business outcomes, the sales lift, the what does it do for your specific mm. marketing objectives, that all this work is being done on it now. 
And a lot of it is coming from the broadcasters themselves. And then when we talked about ITV Palooza, their advertising upfronts a couple of weeks ago, you know, it's just fascinating, like talking afterwards to um, a senior media agency planner um, who heard that presentation. And they were saying, well, now the broadcasters are doing all this um, measurement and analytics and audience analysis. It's kind of like, well, what's left for us to do? <laughs> um, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'll just add actually that, that the brand performance sort of the back and forth and uh, making brand sound like it doesn't perform when actually it does is it, that was another thing that was like a thread throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into, mm-hmm. um, cause we had, um, the, the veritable, um, OG of effectiveness, um, along with Les Binet, um, Peter Field, um, spoke at the conference. I want to, I want to get into that properly in just mm-hmm. a second, but before I do, um, not Peter Field, not Kate Waters, Jack, um, what was the most interesting or best, most insightful thing you heard? Honestly, I loved Ian Whitaker's talk and the best part about uh, Whitaker's presentations in general, he likes referencing historical references and I'm a huge nerd for this. Yeah, he's um he's done like a just recently done like a master's or something in war studies. He's been doing a he's been doing a course. He's a he's a yeah. he and he brings it in really well. And so he kind of compared uh as I mentioned at the at the top, he was comparing TV and news publishing to uh, and big tech and their relationship to <laughs> past revolutions like the Russian Revolution um, and even World War II as well in Ooh. terms of uh, newspapers have kind of been the first to fall but and TV could be but but also might not be uh, to the the big enemy meaning big big tech and he actually quoted Churchill and I, I wanted to read this quote it was on his slide um, basically it was, it was a Churchill quote from I believe it was like 1940 after uh, France fell to to Nazi Germany. Can you can you do it in a church accent <laughs> no. in, instead of a Chicago wise guy accent? I can try. Go on. The completely defensive habit of mind which has destroyed newspapers must not be allowed to ruin all our initiative. An effort must be made to shake off the mental and moral prostration to the... I don't know if I've actually written down. That doesn't sound like <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. I, yeah, I might have that yeah. Pro- I don't think that it might word. be prostration. It's not what you think it means, but yeah, it's right. But moral prostration <laughs> to the will and initiative of the enemy from which we suffer. Is that okay? Do I sound like Winston? Um, I, was, I think it was a I was, dead ringer. I was, that, that, that was amazing. Thank you. Um, I wasn't actually listening to what you were saying because I was, I was listening to how you were saying it. Well, so so what, he's what basically was he going on about? So the, 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 yeah, this quote was in reference to uh, instead of France falling because they were too defensive, um, newspapers fell for a similar way, is what it was Whitaker saying. Um, and that, that doesn't necessarily mean that England was going to fall, or the United Kingdom was going to fall uh, to the very same. They, they were going to use a different tactic. And I think that that was, that was kind of the takeaway that Ian was trying to say, was pushing TV to adapt or die. Mm. Um, and, and Brian Weiser said something similar. TV is adapting. It's in the process of that. So I think it's a long process to adapt uh, to to new technology, to streaming, to all the things that we've been talking about today. Um, But it just needs to execute on that properly or else it could be a lot less relevant today on the media plan than it was certainly in the past and, and it is today. Yeah, I think that's quite an interesting argument. I mean, um, I um, would refer, I covered a really interesting talk that um, Nigel Wally did um the, the tv analyst at um an event that sky media did a couple of months ago it's on the medialeader.co.uk search for it um but he was talking about how you've got these big tech players who have just like 
Google, obviously, which have dominated in search and display because they own the architecture as well as the sales, right? Whereas as they go on to TV, they're having to play with others in a different environment um, where Google can't just come, YouTube just can't um, own TV in the same way that it's owned short form video display, right? So I don't know about that argument about how TV faces a similar fate because Google is so dominant of the orchestra architecture of selling online display advertising. I just, um, I struggle to see how connected TV um, is going to be the same. Yeah, you have to broaden out the definition of TV into to include YouTube as just yeah. display video. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, young people my age and younger watch YouTube way more than they would watch. Certainly linear TV, but probably also streaming. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, really, yeah. an argument also at the conference of what is TV? What are the, do the la- are the labels helpful? All of those sorts of things that were coming up. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. a there was a debate about whether or not TV needs TV a rebound. Yeah, should well, TV just be called video? And yeah. and is that and is it unfashionable? Is it is it is it kind of seen as not very cool? It was quite interesting having a panel, I think, with someone with the media leader MS, who was a previous like performance person, and now she works at MS and TV is a much bigger part of their planning. And she goes, If you told me how like six years ago when I was doing digital, oh yeah, TV's gonna do all of these things for your brand, I would have said, mm. now nah, you're lying. Mm, mm, mm. Um, which brings us nicely on to Peter Fields, the advertising effectiveness guru, um, who gave a barnstorming talk. And um, I'm serious about that. It was uh, okay, he didn't storm a barn, but it, you know, it was a very robust defense of why marketing investment should not only continue on TV, but in his view, actually increase. Um, throughout lots of um, data, a lot of it from Karen Nelson Field. Um, previous media leader columnist, um, which you'll listen to that podcast with Karen Nelson Field. On yeah, it. that was a while back, but yeah, that was, she yeah, spoke on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, you spoke to Karen and Mike Follett talking yep. about attention, fascinating conversation. But once he did that, because even talking about this, you know, this younger audience that TV apparently struggles to reach nowadays, because we're all watching YouTube and TikToks all day. Um, I'm not 34. I don't know why I said we. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, even once you once you factor in those people in, there is still a huge number of them who are still watching broadcast television. And then once you wait that for attentive seconds or however long you're doing that for, um, it's just dwarfing all other media. So TV, even though the numbers, even though we've seen all the Ofcom numbers, there aren't as many TV programs who are reaching 4 million on linear, that sort of thing, the numbers are still pretty big when you compare it to other channels. Um, and then notwithstanding the power of um, brand mental availability, he's, he reminded us, as I said, as Bennett and Field have talked about before, you really, the bare minimum you time you need to reach someone through your advertising is 2.5 seconds. TV, generally, you're looking at about 10 seconds. And it was only really YouTube, which comes anywhere close to matching broadcast television in terms of, holding people's attention which is only on the non-skippable ads yeah yeah the non-skippable stuff that's right um so social media just performs incredibly badly for actually creating mental availability um so it was a good reminder of that but also um to what you've just been discussed in terms of this 
Ella, you mentioned this MS person who's like, oh, TV can do all this stuff. Um, he he actually um, had a bit of a warning for the TV community saying, be careful what you wish for if you're trying to reach into those Google and social media budget by getting loads of performance advertising mm. onto your video and demand platforms. Um, Ella, you could probably say what he said better than I did. Why did he have a warning? I think because it would diminish the kind of the product and what makes TV special is that, that, and there was quite an interesting distinction between, uh, you know, you can, you can't really, sometimes it's hard to make a good, like creative performance Mm -hmm. ad and TV is inherently creative. So that would then impact the attention, which would impact the outcome. Mm. And so if you go too far one way, it's obviously TV, like there is going to be change, but it's, you don't want to go too far one way and then suffer from the same problems that other digital channels have where there's the bombardment and people just not paying any attention to it because it's not not particularly engaging. So there was a bit of a contrast there between keep TV keep doing what it does really well and has done really well historically or TV moving into a more digital space and becoming more performance focused. Yeah, and the, um, he actually, um, Jack. I know you like your your investment chats. Um, Field actually, um, he um, referenced Warren Buffett. What does Warren Buffett look for when he invests in companies? He invests in companies which have the ability to um, to demand a higher price, a yes. price premium. Oh, That's yes, right. the pricing. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so it it reminds you of what is the point of all this advertising? What is the point? It's essentially so you can charge higher prices for your product. If you create a brand that people like, I, I, what am I wearing? I'm wearing Adidas sneakers. You're wearing Stan right Smith. Stan Smith. <laughs> and yeah. you said you weren't young. <laughs> <laughs> um, why do, Why am I buying Adidas? Why do I think Adidas is good? Why am I paying? How much was this? Fifty pounds. I don't can't remember. Is that a lot of money for trades? Um, but yeah, no. why am I why am I paying the shoe over and over? It's because the I feel the brand like I'm paying more. It. I'm paying more for a brand, even though a lot of it might not be that valuable. That that's why you advertise. Yeah. And to your point, Ella, that's why creativity is so important because you're creating that brand. And his warning, as I understood it, was that if you go down too far the performance route, you're just completely forgetting why advertising gives you that ability to charge higher prices and it's just going to damage your business in the long term and warren ain't going to invest in you in my notes i have him down as saying that so first of all the question that we should be asking is not whether or not we should be doing tv but that uh how much tv we should do and if you take a pricing power uh, approach to your advertising he was advocating for for 80 percent of your media budget going on television yeah. that's how effective tv is at giving you that um according to his data and obviously um that that's a third party so i would i would have to think that's a it's pretty honest he's not trying to sell you on tv he's trying to sell you on good advertising on, on, and effectiveness yeah yeah exactly yeah. which apparently is not a buzzword in the u.s like we learned uh, we did learn that yeah, from Re- rita farrow said that that yeah. effectiveness is not that big of a deal in the u.s so you have more of this performance focus mm. in the u.s biggest market that kind of trickles down into other markets so maybe that's why we're kind of seeing this conversation this conversation yeah yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, enough of future of TV advertising global. Let's get into some quick hits. Now, Jack, X, as we as we have to call Twitter nowadays, X shed over 1 million daily UK users between May and October this year, according to figures from Ucom that were seen by the media leader, i.e. you. Uh, <laughs> Jack, why has this happened? <laughs> why has this happened? Uh, pretty obvious, uh, Twitter's... Um, 
user experience is terrible. There's missing disinformation everywhere, hateful speech. Uh, Twitter wasn't even good before Musk took over. Oh, no, I I absolutely hated that app even before he took over and it's still really bad. So look, um, just to add to the the statistics. So yeah, Twitter lost over a million daily active users between May and October. Monthly users also dropped 6% and that time frame to 23.7 million. Although monthly users is kind of a crap statistic in my opinion, because just because I clicked on a Twitter link one time, that counts me as a monthly user, but I don't use that, that site anymore. And I deleted my account. There are many people, including other journalists, who are beginning to delete their accounts as well, uh, including the people in this room. Um, I think the site's a bit of a cesspit. Threads is uh, a legitimate opportunity to move over. Um, they're launching in the in Europe this month. That'll really shoot that website up a little bit more as well. So, um, yeah, I think by this time next year, X is probably going to be the equivalent of uh, Parler or Truth Social in terms of content, ad revenue, user base etc oh dear okay um now in other negative news oh sorry listeners sorry about this um spotify founder daniel Eck has announced job cuts equating to 17 percent of the audio company's workforce ella why have they chosen to make painful cuts now just before christmas um how has Eck justified doing this I think it's its third round of so it's it did job cuts six percent job cut earlier this year it did another restructure sort of midway but this kind of i think uh, for me, it came as a bit of a surprise given their the last quarter, they surpassed all of their key performance indicator like guidance and it was looking quite, quite good. So 17% is, seems a very large uh, cut. It's about 1500 staff. Ooh. So, but Eck in his statement was saying that it was better to make this big cut now rather than lo- like more cuts in future. So maybe doing a bigger cut rather than lots of smaller cuts um, was, was a better move uh, just to get the... Uh, operational costs and the financial goal state is what he said. And it's kind of right sizing um, is what he was saying. So it just, they need productivity, which they have, but they also need efficiency. Yeah, it's um, I, it's 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 a really horrible thing. But if you're running a big organization like that and you're looking at making redundancies, as painful as it clearly is for a lot of people, if you can make the cuts in one round, it's just so much more healthy for your business in the medium to longer term than having to make three, four rounds of cuts. And it's a constant drumbeat of negativity. Yeah. And the morale as well, I think, in the company. Yeah. And Reach I mean, has, mm-hmm. had, has had like cut rounds and rounds of cuts, it seems, this year. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is a different a business as well. But well. It's, yeah. 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 Um, Omar, I actually have a question for you, a rapid fire question. Um, ITV has restructured its audience analytics and data science into a single team led by Neil Mortensen, who has been appointed director of the new ITV Insights Group. Uh, can you tell me why this is significant? I saw you wrote about this this week. Uh, yes, um, and it was a question I had off the back of um, ITV. Um, um, they did a webinar two or three weeks ago, which I covered, where Morty, as he's known affectionately, actually um, his his new job title as Director of Audience Insights, that uh, ITV Insights Group was announced. It wasn't announced, but um, I noticed it and asked ITV questions about that. And it's significant because, as I mentioned before, um, I used to just talk to the commercial people. And now I talk to the audience insight people. I talk to the analytics people. Um, they brought together the data the data team. They brought together the audience analytics team. Um, and they're now going to all be reporting to the chief marketing officer, Jen Stiller. Um, and it's a sign of how audience and analytics are becoming so much more important to ITV's overall business. Again, this point about needing to sell TV harder. Um, fascinating stuff. Um, 
Now, back to you, Jack. There's been a flurry of ad spend reports by the big global media buyers. Jack, what are they saying? Yeah, so all the ad spend reports that came out this week are forecasting a 4 to 6% growth this year and within the next year. Um, we just had Kate Scott Dawkins, uh, who's Brian Weezer, who replaced Brian Weezer at Group M as their global president. Was, of she, was she Batman and Brian was Robin? How did that work? <laughs> uh, she had been, I think, yeah, number two, and then she was... Uh, oh, bumped okay. up when when Brian left, and she's brilliant uh, in her own right. So she was just on the podcast early this week. So if you want to hear the full breakdown great, of the global yeah. ad market, please listen to that. I would add that the TV ad market is not very good right now, as we sort of talked about, which is what what Brian Weiser was saying. Um, and this gets back to something I, I meant to mention earlier, but but forgot to. Um, one thing from the Group M report specifically that I worry hasn't gotten enough attention is that from 2016 to 2022, the top five global ad sellers which are Google, Meta, ByteDance, Alibaba, and Amazon, grew 25.4% on a compound annual basis. But if you exclude those companies, uh, notice there's no actual TV companies in there or, or big broadcast media companies, the market grew just 0.6% each year. So the ad market overall might be looking healthy when you look at a big number like, okay, yeah, people are growing their spend, but all that spend growth is going to well, basically five huge businesses and all of them are digital players slash retail media digital players between Amazon and Alibaba. So I don't actually know how I would characterize the ad market. Is that healthy? It's great that people are spending more, but it would be better if the wealth was spread around. I think most people would agree. Um, but you can, you know, that's, that's the open market, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, the, the big dogs win if they if they have a good product. Yeah. It's like when we, we constantly assess about GDP numbers when, what does it matter if like five fat people are all just getting all the wealth but right yeah. right yeah like the s&p <laughs> the s&p 500 in the u.s has had a really big year this year but it's mostly been led by the top 10 companies in the u.s that have done exceptionally well like meta has had a great year um the rest of the market man eh, you know um side note um opposite king's place and king's cross is the the new google building which is under construction I think, wow wow impressive yeah, yeah. If, if if you're in, is it? If you, if, I just saw it. Is it that impressive to you guys? Oh, it's a big, it's a big scaffolding. It's a, <laughs> it's a spaceship. It's 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 huge. <laughs> you guys don't, you guys don't do skyscrapers in yeah. this country. So I suppose yeah. like that building didn't. It was yeah, like, for, oh, for, wow, for, yeah. for London, it's. Well, if you go to Canary okay, Wharf okay. or somewhere like that, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. But but the fact that it's in King's Cross, I think it it's, makes it stand out more. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But, but when's it going to be done? Uh, never, <laughs> never. Uh, and finally, Ella, um, out of home, ad revenue increased to thir- by 13% to 346 million in the third quarter of this year, according to new figures released by Outsmarts. Now, Ella, that might not sound like a lot, but you tell me, why were these numbers significant? This is quite a good news story, I think. So um, obviously out of home had a very difficult time during the pandemic, along with cinema. And so this was the first quarter where in terms of its corresponding quarter pre-pandemic in 2019, it revenue, its revenue, out of home revenues were higher. So it was 4.9% up compared to Q3 2019. So from what I've been speaking to out of home media owners and buyers, they're like, maybe finally we can stop talking about the pandemic and mm-hmm. keep look to the future and how great out of home is at all of these different jobs that it can do, especially with digital dynamic 3D, all of these new exciting things that are happening. So it's quite a a nice indicator that and then that hopefully Q4 will be even better and so on and it will be an upward trajectory. Mm. I would add that cinema I think actually had a similar thing where this month they're finally supposed to surpass 
2019 levels as well. So like mm-hmm. these more traditional mm-hmm. mediums that really were hit hard by the pandemic, it's not taken them four years, but they'll, they're back yeah. to what yeah. they were at least. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's Portable one of those. I think it's one of those things where. And a lot of there's a lot of market indicators now across media and advertising that are kind of telling us that we've the pandemic effect has effectively subsided, where you know the long term trends have kind of regressed to the mean now, or what they would have been even if there wasn't a pandemic. Um, out of home, back to where it was. Audio, back to where it was. Cinema, back to where it was. Um, consumer behaviors have changed. Um, a lot more digital spend has been accelerated, but actually. You know, it's kind of slowed down. Really interesting. Great. Okay. <laughs> Run away now. <laughs> We're done. We'll go write more about what exactly we were just talking about. <laughs> um, thank you, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Media Leader podcast. And sorry if you weren't at Future of TV Advertising Global because it was sold out quite early, but um, better luck next year. See you later, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Media Leader podcast. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.